Church family, one of my favorite lines from all of hymnody and the hardest to believe is that it's impossible for a church to be saved to sin no more. Can you imagine the glory of that day to be saved to sin no more? But because that's not our reality now, we still dwell in these thoughts on Good Friday and what it means to have a sacrifice for sin. So Trevor elaborated from Leviticus what it would have looked like to experience that in the Old Testament, that prefigurement of Jesus. And providentially, I've been reading through the book of Leviticus and it's dry and it's hard to picture and to stay with it and to to walk through chapter after chapter describing these scenes. But when you hear it, it comes to life. Imagine what it would have meant for a worshiper to lay their hands on the head of that animal and to see and to hear and to smell and to respond to what it would have looked like to sacrifice that animal in that sinner's stead. The Old Testament makes very clear that there was much blood during the sacrifice. There was blood in the killing, there was blood in the cutting, there was blood in the sprinkling, there was blood, blood, blood in the sacrifice. And what we heard from Hebrews chapter 9 is that there is a direct line from those Old Testament sacrifices to the person of Jesus and the sacrifice he made when it describes in very blunt terms, Hebrews 9.12, Christ enters God's holy place by means of his own blood. 9.14, by the blood of Christ. 9.20, the blood of the covenant. 9.22, indeed under the law almost everything is purified with blood and without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sins. The Old Testament tells the story of a trail of blood from the Pentateuch through the history, through the prophets that lead us directly into Good Friday. One's life is in the blood, one's blood is one's life, and as a sinner before a holy God, either I must bleed out under God's wrath for my sin, or something must stand in my stead to bleed out for me. That is the stark reality of the law in the Old Testament. But as I was meditating on the blood references to Jesus in the New Testament, I was struck by the fact that there are three groups of people, none of them are believers, and they all reference Jesus' blood on Good Friday before Jesus bleeds a single drop. You got Judas, Pilate, and the crowds, and in a twist of irony, it's only Judas who fully understands what he says. So Judas, when he realizes to his horror what he has done, he has betrayed the Son of God, he runs to the priest that he made the betrayal plans with and he throws the 30 pieces of silver before them and says to them in uh, guilt-strickenness, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. He's right. Jesus' blood bears not a speck of sin or guilt. It is the perfection of innocence, and it has been betrayed. 
Jesus comes before Pilate. Pilate is fed up with the crowds. He thinks they should deal with it, not him. But then he finally says, so when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd and said, I am innocent of this man's blood. Now he said it, but he handed Jesus over to be crucified, so he wasn't innocent. And the crowds, they respond to Pilate's statement by saying, his blood be on us and on our children. Oh, that they could know what they said. We say that as a believer, may his blood be on us and our children. But Pilate was saying, I'm innocent of this man's blood. And the crowds were doubling down to say, no, we will take responsibility for this. We stand responsible for what will happen here And they would be. With that third and final pronouncement of blood, Good Friday is fully underway. It is a gruesome chain of events that can't be stopped and it can't be unwatched. Jesus is going to die, we know, but he won't die quickly and he won't die simply. There are ways that he could have died. He could have been executed in other ways. He could have been killed by hanging or by drowning or by beheading, and that would have been quick. That would have been simple. He would have been dead for sin, but he will bleed out throughout the day of Good Friday. When Pilate hands him over to death, he is scourged. We know that Jesus is bound to a stake and he is beaten with a whip. And that whip had leather to it and it was tied up with sharp bones and ball bearings. And that whip was used to maximize bleeding and bruising across his back. And typically that whip alone, those lashes alone themselves could be fatal. And the blood of Christ is shed. He's taken off of that stake and he's brought back to the fortress where there's about a hundred soldiers gathered there and they begin to mock him and spit on him and beat him. They put a crown of thorns on his head and they put a robe on him and they give him a reed and take it from him and strike him with it. And as you watch, the blood of Christ is shed. When they're done making sport of Jesus, they lead him to Golgotha. He can't even carry his cross for himself. Another must carry it for him. And when he's there, he's laid out and nails are driven through his wrists and his feet and he's hoisted up naked and exposed to the elements and he will hang on that cross from 9 a.m. till 3 p.m., six hours of bleeding on that cross from head, from face, from back, from hands, from feet. And the blood of Christ is shed. Jesus dies on that cross. He doesn't die from 
asphyxiation. That's how you typically would die when you've lost arm strength and you can't lift yourself to breathe. Eventually you will suffocate, but he doesn't suffocate, nor does he die because of blood loss. The Gospels make explicitly clear that it is Jesus himself who gives over his life. He is the one who yields up his spirit, and when his time comes, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It is finished and he yields up his spirit, but to make sure he's dead, a soldier comes with a spear and stabs him in his side, and water and blood flows out, and the blood of Christ is shed. John the Baptist prophesied rightly when he saw Jesus three years prior and said when he saw his cousin, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Spiritually speaking, based on Leviticus, what is happening to us in this new covenant is that we as sinners lay our hands on the head of Jesus by repentance and faith as our forebearers laid their hands on that sacrificial lamb And in our stead, it is the lamb and not the sinner who is slain. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. But with the shedding of blood that is found here on Good Friday, there is true and real and decisive and final and eternal forgiveness for those who are in Christ Jesus. The blood that I should have shed, Christ shed for me, satisfying God's wrath and bringing me clean into his presence. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we just cannot absorb the weight of this story and the weight of this wrath. We've read it again and again, and there are moments that we tremble, and there are moments that we read it flippantly and pass on to the next thing. Lord, I pray that you would use still moments now and in the taking of your supper to bring gravity to our sin gravity to your sacrifice and worship to our spirits as we commune with you on this grave, dark, glorious day. Do that in our midst, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.